Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to your book. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. My brand new book, Limelight, A Story of Sisterhood, Sexuality and Self-Esteem is out this Thursday, the 1st of June. You've got a few days left to enter our competition. Pre-order Limelight in hardback from bookshop.org and you could win the chance to be a guest on your book and share your shelves with us. I'm going to be on tour with Limelight starting at the Fort Road Hotel in Margate with Dolly Alderton on the 1st of June in conjunction with the Margate Bookshop. I'll be at the House of Books and Friends in Manchester on the 12th of June. Tickets are available from their Instagram. Waterstones Bath on the 19th of June. Harbour Books in Whitstable with Catherine May on the 20th of June. Waterstones Cambridge with Lucy Vine on the 28th of June. Also Festival with Ella Bertode on the 15th of July and Prima Donna Festival with Rebecca Humphreys on the 28th of July. More dates and festival appearances to be announced. Also, I'll be reporting backstage from the inaugural Queen's Reading Room Festival on the 12th of June, hopefully bringing news and gossip from Dame Julie Dench, Ken Follett and Ostentatious. You can get tickets to the festival at royalreadingroom.uk. As always, everything will be on social media. Follow me on Instagram at the Daisy B to find out more. And if you can't make any live events, join me for an Instagram live event with at Tilly Loves Books tomorrow, Tuesday the 30th of May at 8pm UK time. Come along and you could win signed hardbacks of Insatiable, Careering and Limelight. Now, on to today's guest. If, like me, you were born between, let's say, 1980 and 1990, you will feel a bit giddy when you hear their name. It's T4 icon Steve Jones. Steve has gone on to many other great things, including writing his first novel, Call Time. It's a very funny story about a man who is forced to change his selfish ways when he makes unexpected contact with his past self. We talked about how Steve is addicted to crime, novels, falling in love with Tolkien, writing anytime, anyplace, anywhere, and the charm of the short story. I hear you've been um, going on a bit of an early, early doors book tour, taking call time to different bookshops. Um, How does that feel? Because it's huge, isn't it, to go from you in your head on your own typing away and then to have to kind of take your book live out into the world. But I hear the reception's been fantastic. Yeah, people have been phenomenal. It turns out book people are very nice people. Uh, and that, that's been a really, really encouraging just to go around the country and meet lots of different people in a capacity I wouldn't normally, you know, to walk into a, a bookstore. You know, they're expecting me, but it's still an element of cold calling. I don't really know who I'm going to be speaking to. And, and some 
you know, and sometimes I feel like I'm uh, disturbing them. They're in the middle of a, you know, busy day, but there I am going, hi, Steve Jones with a book, and hopefully you'll read it and enjoy it and maybe give it a plug. But they're all very welcoming, very, very nice. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been different. And I am excited about different. I've been presenting for about, well, over 20 years now. So I've done pretty much everything you can do in the presenting world, all different iterations of the job. So to do something completely different, write a book and then promote it is very rewarding at this stage of my career. Awesome. I'd love to hear about the process from where that first glimmer of a story and that idea and that curiosity. and Because I think it's a really brave thing to do and not an easy thing to do to sit down and explore. And it's that, um, you know, is this anything, as I think Seinfeld says, is this idea, you know, how did you know when it was a novel? It's a good question. I suppose I knew it could be a novel when the idea persisted, when it kept coming back to me. Uh, essentially, the idea for the book um, just landed in my lap. Uh, it, it, it arrived at, at a place where all the best ideas come to you in the pub. Uh, I was out with a, a couple of my friends, Rob and Rose. And kind of apropos of nothing, uh, Rob mentioned that Rose could remember every single number in her mobile phone, which is insane. And I said, that's, that's bonkers. And she said, I've just had a knack for numbers and I don't really forget things. And I, I, it, it just comes to me. And then I said, the only one I can really remember that isn't my current number is the first one I ever had in my childhood, the landline from my house in uh, 231 East Road, Tylerstown, which was 01443756634. And then just as a little joke, I said, how weird would it be if I rang that number now and a 10-year-old Steve answered the phone? And I started thinking, well, goodness, what would I say to my 10-year-old self? And then, you know, we, we moved on from that conversation. But after I left the pub, that idea kept coming back to me. What would I say to my 10-year-old self? And that was the genesis of the story. And it just kept developing from that. That is a question that we could all put to ourselves. I think, you know, we would... We all have things we'd love to tell kind of our past selves and our old ghosts. Um, you have, you know, very much your own voice and your own concept. But um, yeah. I've heard the sort of the comparisons with Nick Hornby and High Fidelity. And I can sort of see those echoes. And that is that feeling you get, isn't it, when a book is kind of full of full of friends and full of interesting relationships. Is that a book that resonated with you? 100%. I love Nick Hornby. And, you know, to even be mentioned in the same breath as Nick Hornby, um, is outrageous and nonsense, of course. The man's a genius. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, you have just written my debut novel. I'm, I'm having a go and hopefully it will be uh, received well. But uh, I, I suppose there are elements, the same flavour. It's about relationships and tongue in cheek humour and um, redemption. Uh, there's a bit of nostalgia in there. Uh, there's also a bit of tragedy, I, I, I suppose, in the sense that my protagonist, Bob, um, and myself have one thing in common that um, the, the one thing he wants to change is his um, his brother dies on a bike ride when uh, when Bob's a kid and he believes if he could change that one thing uh, through the means of a, a magic phone which he's acquired it'll make him a better person in the present and there's a similarity in the sense that when I was a kid that very thing happened to me not a brother but my best friend Chris myself and my brother Jonathan were on a bike ride with our friend Chris and he came off the bike and, and he died and it was obviously a very traumatic thing to go through but um, that's the one thing I would change if I if I could have that phone call to the past and um, it really helped me connect with Bob as a character because you know I, I know what it's like to to lose someone I, I know what it's like to, to want them back. How did you deal with that grief then or, or did you? 
Well, Bob, uh, when Bob is speaking to his younger self, uh, young Bob, Robert, is 12 years old. When I lost my friend Chris, I was actually 19, so I was a lot older. So it was a lot more um, visceral, you could say, a lot more real. Um, I felt, you know, I was like a, a rounded person at the time. I knew about grief. You know, I'd lost grandparents at the time, but to be there and see something like that took a long, long time to get over, a long, long time. I think it was a good 10 years. Yeah, e easily a decade went by where I had my first day where I didn't think about it, didn't think about what happened. Uh, yeah, and I still, you know, 25 years later, I, I'm, I still regularly think about it. You ne you'll never forget about it. It's a bit easier to deal with, you know, a quarter of a century in, but um, yeah. it's not something you'll ever forget. So. I use that in the story um, because I, for, for good or bad, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, obviously it's a terrible thing and it's the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I've used that in the story and I feel a bit torn whether that's right or wrong, but I did. And um, I feel it helped me to get under the skin of Bob and to make it a better story, more believable story, even though it's based in obviously fantasy. And I think it is something, you know, heartbreakingly, it is universal that we do all lose people. And, you know, I think a lot of us do lose some people too soon. And I'm certain that it's a, a really generous thing for you to do as a writer, because it will help so many readers. I think lots of people will find that and also, you know, find the joy and the levity in the story as well as the tragedy and be sort of feel seen and feel uplifted. Are there any books that you've read that have brought you that kind of comfort? I mean, books always bring me comfort. I love the escapism uh, in, in, in any book. Just to immerse yourself in another world, I feel, is is a good thing. That escapism from, you know, everyday life and the challenges we all face. But, I, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing when it comes to reading. I know there are people out there who can instantly recall parts of a book they've read, you know, a, a, like a lifetime ago. I'm kind of the opposite. It's about a week later, I could, t I could tell you, yes, I thoroughly enjoyed this book. But if you would ask me, well, who wrote it and what's it called? Sometimes I'm like, I, do you know, I can't remember. <laughs> you, I read so many books. I, I, I struggle to think of ones that um, I've read, you know, a year ago, for instance. I can tell you what I'm reading right now. I can tell you massive books that had an impact on me when I was a kid, stuff like Tolkien, uh, you know, Oscar Wilde. Uh, books like that but generally I read so much so regularly I, I can't remember half the stuff I've read is that, is that sound uh, weird is that is that you no, in that sense I think that lots of us we remember the feelings yes. and this the sense that the books brought to us but not I mean sometimes even plot I struggle and it's like I think there was a man and I might have been in the past and I think he met someone and that's sort of all I've got to go on I'd love to hear about um, you reading Tolkien when you were a kid. How did you find those books? Were you reading them independently or were they being read to you at school? Well, exactly that. Exactly that. My uh, my old teacher, Mr. Watkins, I think I was about eight at the time. And he, uh, he came to a decision at the end of uh, each of our school days, the last hour, he was going to read us an extract from um, from The Hobbit or read it section by section. And I remember thinking, oh, I'd just rather be outside playing football than listen to some, you know, old bloke read a book. And um, he started reading it and he had one of these deep, like sonorous Welsh voices. And he got, I think we got as far as uh, Thorin uh, turning up at Bag End and I was just floored. I was blown away. It was like the coolest thing I'd ever, ever heard. And I think he, he read the entire book. I was absolutely wrapped and I kept 
pestering my parents. I said, hey, you know, about this book I'd, I'd read. And then my grandmother, she'd read it a few years earlier. And she said, look, let's go out and buy your own copy. And then we went to the local bookshop and we uh, we got my first book ever, which is uh, The Hobbit by Tolkien. And I don't think a year has gone by since when I don't read The Hobbit. It's such a special book. I, I, I love it. I mean, who, who doesn't love The Hobbit? If I meet somebody and they're like, I... You know, they haven't read it. They, well, I just assume they don't like reading or they're a baby because, <laughs> come on, you've got to read The Hobbit. No disrespect, Daisy, if you haven't. I'm sure you have. It has been a while, but I should definitely go back because I was thinking it's there's so much going on. I bet you get something new from it each time and, you know, find an extra reward. Absolutely. It, it's, a, it's a perfect book. Brilliantly written. And, and Lord of the Rings, I'm same deal with those books. I've read them many times. Just perfect. Are there any other series or sort of genres or books where you have kind of found an author you love and then been delighted to, you know, see, look, there's a backlist. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm huge. <laughs> I'm a huge Star Trek fan. And um, I've watched uh, Next Generation to death. I mean, I've seen it so many times. And uh, my brother Jonathan recommended the uh, Star Trek uh, Next Generation Litverse. And uh, yeah, I, I went through that like a plague of locusts. There's a lot of those books and I just absolutely devoured every single one of them. They were phenomenal. Absolutely loved it and just invigorated my love for, for Star Trek all over again. So I, I, I blitzed that. I recently, uh, my, my, my wife bought me the complete um, works of Dexter. We were a big fan of that TV show. So Jeff Lindsay, I just destroyed that very, very quickly. Um, I'm a huge fan of Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, Sherlock Holmes is one of my absolute heroes. So I go through all those books regularly. They're kind of one of those, the Sherlock Holmes books, I, I tend to buy them quite a lot at uh, at the bookstore because I I give I give them away. I think well, I've done with this book now. I read it a few times and I give them away, and then I'm like, I'm not done with that book. I need to rebuy it. You know, you, you can never get bored of Holmes. It's a it's a it's a it's a character you can read many many times. And that's a sign, isn't it? I think of something if you're rebuying a book. Yeah. That that is a really great book. Yes. Um, are you good at working out the mysteries? Do you have a very sort of analytical mind? Um, do you know? I try not to. I actively try not to work it out. It's the same with film. If I'm in the cinema, I don't want to sit at the back, you know, whispering in my wife's ear. I think she did it. Just let it wash over you. Enjoy the ride. Not everything has to be, you know, uh, something that needs an immediate solution. Just just enjoy it. Let let Sherlock Holmes work it out. Okay, I'm I'm just Steve Jones reading you know, a, a genius at work. So I, I just prefer to let him work it out. I love that approach because I think now that there's, I mean, everyone adores true crime and I'm not the biggest true crime fan. I think partly because I'm quite squeamish, but I think that that yeah. does feel sometimes with some books a sense of like, well, you should be working it out and it's kind of, it's like homework. And, you know, it's like, I love um, Agatha Christie. And I think, you know, that's how I feel about Poirot. It's like, he, he's got the little grey cells. I do not. <laughs> Leave them to it. You know, and I, I do prefer my crime to be fictional. I must admit, and no disrespect to people who absolutely love the true crime stuff, but it's a little mawkish for me. I, I, I don't like that spun as entertainment. Mm. Oh, have you seen the one about the guy who killed his entire family and buried them in a septic tank? Um, no, that sounds awful. Why are you watching that? You know, I, I think it diminishes us all a little bit using that stuff as entertainment. So... Yeah, I'm going to get off my soapbox, but I, I don't like that. It doesn't, feel, it doesn't feel right to me. But no, I'm with you. Like the sort of, um, oh, this is a, not book chat, but um, my comfort thing. I try not to have the TV on when I'm working at home, but I have, uh, if I do, 
it's often the Food Network, which is just the most comforting, safe, lovely, happy, easy. It's Nigella, it's Ina Garten, it's Mary Berry. Yeah, we call it mental chewing gum. Yes, and it's a delight. But then there'll be adverts for other, like, we thought you might like this documentary about these 17 most evil serial killers. Yeah. No, why on earth would I want my viewing of Mary Berry to be interrupted by that? If you liked Mary Berry, you might like this documentary about chefs who murdered their diners. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Pass. Not, not interested. Thank you very much. Although that would be a book, a fictional novel I'd read. Oh, yeah, that does actually sound like a good, good, good book. That yeah. might be. I don't know if you start. It's a horrible question, I think, you know, when you've just um, finished your your first novel to be like so what's next but if you did want to write a second novel <laughs> I've, I've already written my second novel I've already, I've oh, already wow. done it and uh, Penguin have already bought it it's a completely different idea completely different book different characters so yeah it came to me pretty quickly after I finished call time so that's in the bag I'm actually halfway through my third now so I've you know I've 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 got to a point now where I I can't remember what I once did when I wasn't writing. I don't know how I filled all my time, you know, because I started writing call time. Goodness, I think about, it's got to be about four and a half, five years ago. Um, it was a pretty slow process, grabbing moments here and there. And eventually, you know, it it, it, it bared fruit, you know, uh, Penguin bought it. It's coming out soon and that's great. But in the meantime, I got to work on my second book because I, I, I love to write. So, yeah, it's going very, very well. He says before the book comes out, maybe it'll crash and burn horribly. But I'm, do you know what? I'm having a great time doing it. I, lo- I love well, to write. I think with anything, the doing of it, the process has to be the fun bit. I don't know if um, you have come across uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, which is one of my favourite books about writing. And I would think I was quite dismissive of it. And I was like, magic? I don't like the sound of magic. I've, you know, it's got to be a master to the process. And I was really rolling my eyes at it. But um she talks about how people say, oh, you know, I, I want to write and where can I possibly find the time? And Elizabeth Gilbert says, you wouldn't say that if you were having an affair. Would you? <laughs> you have to be having an affair with your book, you know, where you just like, if you can only find 15 minutes in a day, you take that 15 minutes. That's yeah. how sort of excited you've got to be. And it sounds like that's what you have with the process. Elizabeth's hit the nail on the head there. I, my... my... I've met some people who want to write or do write, and it seems to me they, they they write in like a like a bubble. They have a special room they go to, and certain music is going to be playing, and it's a certain time of day, and there's a window. And I, I always, well, I, I, I I say if I'm asked, or at least I think, you know, I don't want to come across like I'm, I'm lecturing people, but you need to learn to write anywhere and at any time. And that, that's the way I do it. You know, I, I spend most of my time writing on planes because I present Formula One on Channel 4. So I'm always writing on a plane. I'm writing in airports. I'm writing at the track. I can write in a room full of people. You've got to be able to blank it all out and just get stuck in and grab, like Elizabeth said, grab that time where you can. So I think it's really important skill to learn. Do not write in a, you know, in a, in a laboratory, in a hermetically sealed room. It's, you have to write everywhere. Uh, at any time I'm, I'm sure you'll agree absolutely I, th- I always need reminding though I mean yeah as well as the novels that if you wanted to write a book about writing I would buy it sign me up <laughs> are there any uh books about writing that you sort of you have been reading as you've written or you know as you were thinking about novels I did read I've only read one book 
uh, on writing, which was called On Writing by Stephen King. Uh-huh. I'm a huge Stephen King fan. He's one of the books I'm reading at the moment. I think the guy is just magical. I think he's weirdly underrated because he's so bloody good and so mm. prolific, so successful. I think he's he's just phenomenal. So if Stephen King's going to write a book on how to write, I'm going to read that. And it was fantastic. Really, really inspirational stuff. But of course, not not just about this is how you should write. It was about how, how he came to be a writer as well, which is also utterly fascinating. And uh, re- reader beware, if you're going to get into that zone where you need to... Uh, uh, drink alcohol to write because let's let's be honest you know occasionally if I'm on a plane and I'm doing some writing and I have a glass of red wine here and there it can get the juices flowing but Stephen very much uh, warns against getting into that I don't know if you've read it but he mentions a story I, I think it's Christine or maybe Carrie he was drinking so heavily he can't remember writing that book and he had this epiphany one morning where he was writing and he looked down and there was a black bag full of empty beer cans and he thought I've got to stop this. I, I, I can't do it. So all that stuff was quite uh, interesting to read as well because, yeah, you've got to be careful with that, that drinking and, and, and writing thing. Uh, have you ever read Misery? A while ago. That's another book I keep meaning to return to. I mean, we, we all, we've all seen the film where Annie Wilkes, you know, is his captor, uh, like breaks his ankles with a sledgehammer. She doesn't do that in the book. She chops his feet off with an axe and then cauterizes them with tar. It's one of the most harrowing scenes in any book I've ever read. In fact, I, I finished that chapter and I went to the pub to see my, my father and my brothers and I was pale from reading it. They literally asked me, are you okay? You seem a bit off. And I'm like, yeah, I've just read the worst thing I've ever read in my life. It was phenomenal. The, the guy's a genius. Truly. And it's just more than that. And I think, you know, because the films are incredible, but the subtlety of the books where it is that the dread, not of what is happening, but what is about to happen and the... The brutality and the violence is really hard to stomach, but it's him trapped alone with her that's the the awful thing. The way he really has that sense of how your mind can, you know, close in on itself. Um, I'm getting a bit shivery just <laughs> thinking about it. Well, it's great. I'm that, that's the yeah, that's books, isn't it? The way those words can jump off the page and reach into your chest and you know wrap their fingers around your heart. It's like, wow, what what's going on here? This is me doing this to me. It's 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 just so special. That's what I love about books more so than than film. I mean, some books you can't make films out of. These these stories can only exist on the page of a book and you know and they transfer to my mind. I just, I just I just love it the mental, you know, workout that a book gives you as opposed to sitting down in front of the TV, which by the way, I love. I love TV, I love film, but I don't know there's something special about books. Just mm. just wonderful. You say you you've written four books now, yes? Well, third one is out this summer and the fourth one is um, a, it's currently 60,000 words on a Word document that needs to be okay. propped and prodded into life and rewritten. And, and I sort of at that point where I stepped away from it a bit and I know what it needs to be and what needs to happen. And I like the story. I know the story. It's just finding the voice. Um, but I think it's it's really, really wise and smart to write as much as you can before the book comes out Uh, because something I struggled with um, writing this third one as I was writing it the second one was being published and the first one had sort of just come out in paperback and you know every time I went on Instagram there was lots of like well I like this about the first book and there wasn't enough of this in the second book and even when people are saying you know really nice positive things about what they thought was working 
I was sort of panicking a bit and thinking, well, there's not any of that in book three. <laughs> it was, um, <laughs> it took so many drafts and it's the hardest, one of the most painful things I've ever written and great. And I've got a really fantastic editor who helped me so much and gave me so much wise advice. But it was a bit like a sort of Heath Robinson-y, you know, different things glued together that didn't really fit. And I was like, oh, I suppose I better do some of this. And it was weird how when I wrote, wrote my first one, I was so confident not because I was like, oh, I think this is great, but I was, I, I didn't have all those voices in my head. I'd love to hear what Stephen King says about, well, I suppose he has lots of scary voices in his head. Yeah, I am a little bit nervous about the book coming out and how people uh, receive it. But at the same time, I'm not because as a presenter, which I mentioned earlier, I've been doing for, you know, about 22 years, 20 years or so, um, I'm used to criticism. You know, I'm not a, a musician. I'm not an actor. Um, I'm a presenter. And when I present, I'm me. So if people don't like me presenting, which I've heard many times over, you know, through social media and all the rest of it, they don't like me personally. So I'm used to criticism. You know, I, and I'm, I'm, I think I'll be used to it if it's level at a book I've written. So, you know, at this point, I've got pretty thick skin. So I, I bring it on. But at the same time, I've never done this before, so maybe it'll turn out to be a completely different feeling and it'll absolutely crush me. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the chance. I guess as well in your career, you have spent a lot of time with a lot of other creative people, all making different things, who know those, those highs and lows. And I think it's really hard because I think writers do have to be quite sensitive because for a book to really work and be interesting and engaging, it's about the fullness of being a human and having all of those feelings and having that emotional response. So it's a complicated thing, isn't it, to have a skin that is thick enough but also thin enough. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. I think you've got to have that, at least I felt I, I was... I wanted to do something, like you said, I've met so many actors and musicians and uh, like sporting stars who, who achieve incredible things and things that last, you know, a film that's around forever that everybody loves, that amazing song, that world title as a sports, uh, as, as a sporting hero. Um, I'm a presenter. The things I do, the, 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 they're just not tangible. They're fleeting. As soon as that show comes out, it's on demand for a week and then it's gone. And I just, I just wanted to do something that lasts, that, 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 that was tangible, that people could actually touch and, and it would be around beyond my years. And I think that has been kind of a driving force for it as well. That really does appeal to me because, yeah, it's a bit tough that everything you do just immediately gets forgotten. At least everything I do gets forgotten, you know, I, probably not so much for Ant and Deck, but uh, you know, <laughs> who, who's Ant and Deck? You know, I think there are lots of teen T4 fans who would, you know, it's all etched on their memories. I wouldn't worry. But yeah, that's always nice to... when people say they like T4. I'm like, oh, great. But again, all that stuff is gone. Thank you. Sorry. I've known you've done lots and lots of work since then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I need to cheer myself up, I think about how in a world where everything does feel quite ephemeral, there's so much, everything's digital, everything's streamed. And even those things that we keep, you know, we don't hold them in the way we used to. Books are bucking that trend that, you know, we thought that, oh, it's all going to be Kindles and the age of the book is over. And like every year, book sales are up. More and more people want to buy books and hold books and have that kind of tactile experience with them. So, yeah, I think it is something that, you know, it's, it's legacy, isn't it? Well, why do you think that is? I, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't answer that question because I've never Kindled um, 
you know, I, 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 I am no disrespect to people who kindle, you know, if you're reading, you're reading, that's good, good for you. But uh, yeah, I've always been book. I've got to have it in my hands. Um, I like the weight of it. I like the fact the book, uh, in a weird way, doesn't want to be read. The book is, you know, you, hold, you have to hold a book, book mm. open. Its natural state is to be closed. So you, you've, you've got to like, you've got to work to get that information. It's not an easy transaction. It's not going to flop open. It's like, I, actually, I want to be shut. So that I kind of like, you've got to work at it as well. You, if you want the knowledge, you've got to hold it open, at least the way I read, because I'm what you call a, a libro cubicularist. Have you heard of that? Oh, no. Tell me about that. It means I read in bed. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. So yeah, that's, that's my exclusive place of reading, an hour every night, maybe a bit longer, depending on how good the book is. Um, I'm lying there in bed, you know, on my back, holding the book above me, which I feel helps tire me out so I can go to sleep and shut my brain down. But yeah, that's, that's, I'm, I'm one of those. And um, tell me that word again, because I am one too. A uh, libro cubicularist. A libro cubicularist. That's brilliant. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. um, I, I read in the mornings, which is very, very decadent. But wow, rather in than... the morning? What, you mean like a, a newspaper? No, so... In the morning, rather than, um, it's mostly so I don't look at my phone, but it's um, sort of so my brain is is fresh, I guess. It's a really nice easing. I, dr- I drink coffee and I read the book that I'm reading. And it's just a really gentle easing into the day. But then it's uh, being a, a writer and someone who's sort of working from home a lot. Um, I know it's uh, lots of people wake up in the mornings and they immediately have to get out of bed and do things. <laughs> I'm lazing around, but it is delightful. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We'll be back with Steve soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week. I've chosen a novel by a friend of this podcast. It's Lauren Bravo's debut, Preloved. I had the privilege of reading this very early, and it's a story that's really stayed with me. It's one of my very best books of 2023. 
Gwen finds herself at the end of her 30s feeling unmoored and purposeless, and so she starts volunteering at a charity shop and discovers there is an epidemic of general purposelessness. This is very, very funny and sharp. It's about grief and love, but it has the wit and clarity of some of my favourite books by authors like Nina Stibby and Helen Fielding. Lauren is a kind and clever writer. I think she's the indie sleaze Barbara Pym. Pre-Loved is published by Simon & Schuster and out now. Now back to Steve. Are you a good planner when you write? Do you kind of think, do you know what's going to happen before it happens or do you feel it out as you write? Uh, I suppose just a little bit of both. Um, I do have an overall idea where it's going. I have my, you know, my beginning, my middle and my end, but it's very loosey-goosey. I don't like to lock it in too tight because... I do like a flight of fancy and taking it off in this direction. Who knows, it might not work and I'll come back to the original core uh, plot line. But yeah, I I like to keep it loose. I think that's more fun. I mean, what's more fun than writing something and you're writing it and thinking, oh, I I didn't see that coming. You know, know, you're entertaining yourself. And I do do enjoy that because you you don't know where it's going to go sometimes. And I don't know what's going to come out of some of these characters' mouths. And I think that's a, that's a fun way to write. Why, why not entertain yourself while you're doing it? And I think that's such a gift to readers as well, because you sort of, you want to be taking them with you and all discovering together. And I think that spontaneous feeling shows. And I forget, and I have to remember, you're kind of on the scenic route with unlimited petrol and publishers' deadlines aside, it's not like, well, I've got to be at the end in an hour. You can, you know, you've got time to... To get lost and look out of the window and Absolutely. discover I, I, all these new places. I don't know how I do with a deadline, you know, the way things have worked out. You know, I kind of finished my book and then it, it got picked up by Penguin and I'd written the second book whilst that was going through the editorial pre- uh, process with Penguin, getting it Penguin ready. So I'm yet for somebody to say, we need that book by a week Wednesday. Uh, that's kind of terrifying because I am quite slow when I write. I'm, I'm dyslexic, so... Um, I struggle with spelling. That kind of slows me down quite a bit. Um, so I don't know how I would react to it, to that kind of uh, you know that timeline, that pressure. But it'd be a good thing to get to that point. I mean, if the third is like, do you know what? The, the second has been a great success. We need the third tomorrow. I'd be like, okay, well, this is a pretty sweet place to be if people really want this stuff quickly. I, I mean, I'd love to get there, but I don't know how I'd handle it. Did you do much creative writing when you were younger? And did your dyslexia have an impact on how confident you felt about that? Yeah, I've, I've never been particularly academic. I didn't do very well in school. And, you know, I'm of an age where the dyslexia thing wasn't really a factor in school. It was just like, well, you're not as bright as these kids, so you're going to be in this set. So it did hold me back academically. Um, since then, I've been, you know, I've become aware of it. Uh, and I know... My, my limitations when it comes to spelling, but I've always been a creative person. I've always been artistic. I've been able to, you know, I'm, I'm, I can, I'm one of these people, I can draw anything. Um, I, as soon as I started presenting, it was pretty, it came pretty quickly to me that, oh, I don't just like talking and saying what's written on the script. I like writing what's on the script too. So over the course of the last 20 odd years of presenting, if you've seen me on TV, there's a good chance that what's coming out of my mouth, I've written it. And um, I just fell in love with that aspect of, of the job. And alongside presenting, you know, I, I've, I've been a prolific reader. So I, I, I think if you read enough, it's, it's kind of inevitable. You're going to ask yourself the question, could I write a book? 
And that's the question I asked myself a few years back. And uh, I thought, Do you know what, I'm going to give it a go. And it's been one of the best things, one of the best questions I've ever asked myself. And with the encouragement of my wife, here I am talking to you, Daisy. It's awesome. Delighted to, you know, be at this point on the journey. But I think that's huge. I think there are lots of people who, you know, like you were and are really, really creative and really wanted to tell stories, but also connect with stories and read stories. And I hope this is changing. But I think that at school, you know, it has been difficult for to find ways of teaching students who might respond to stories in a different way or you know if you sort of if you hear that you're you know a slow reader and you feel like books aren't for you and you're being shut out of a world that there where there's so much excitement and nourishment and joy I think that's really challenging and I think it's really inspiring to hear that you found books I know that they're awkward to open, but the books are coming for you. They wanted to be in your life. I I think some of the first writing I ever did was actually in books. And by that, I mean, I used to do this thing. I still do now if if you're silly enough to leave your book lying around. Um, For instance, my my mate, Jason, uh, one of my oldest friends, he was reading um, uh, Herman Melville's Moby Dick. And uh, he left it lying around. So I went to the end of the book. And I continued writing. I wrote like an extra chapter about how Moby Dick was actually Jason in a whale costume the entire time. So, I'm just <laughs> so that's what I'm, I, I don't know whether you is. If you leave a book hanging around, I will get a pen, go to the back and I will incorporate you into the story somehow. So that's kind of the first writing, a creative writing, which I actually got a lot of like, oh, that was really fun. And, I, you, I, and it's a slow burner. You've got to wait for him to finish that novel. Uh, but when he gets back to you and says, oh, my God, that was so funny. I didn't see that coming. It was really rewarding. So I think maybe that was the first little nugget of, ooh, I, I like writing. That's fun. I'm really impressed because that is a quite, that's a sophisticated joke. I thought you were going to tell me that you adorned it with um, some Moby Dicks. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that, that would have been route one, actually. Maybe I should have done that. might have been funnier than what I wrote. <laughs> Are there any books where you'd love to write an alternative ending? Okay, I'm going to say something now. I'm going to get destroyed, I I dare say. It's not so much an alternative ending. Look, I love Tolkien. The man's a god, obviously, a literary god, incredible. But I will say Return of the King, he does waffle on a little bit. It just goes on and on and on. And I just feel like he couldn't bring himself to finish those novels, or novel, I think it was supposed to be released as just one massive uh, novel. And it just, it waffles on. I mean, who the hell am I to say that about Tolkien? But every time I read it, I'm like, oh God, no, why are we exploring this dead-end relationship? We don't care about this. Let's get back to The Hobbits. So that's one thing I would tweak and cut it down. I would edit that just a little bit. Is that terrible? It's not terrible at all. I will admit that I just read Bleak House before Christmas. And again, yeah, I guess it was serialised. I guess there were some weeks where he was like, well, I've just got to kind of keep people reading, keep people (laughs) inventing things. But yeah, this is not something that I am in any position to say. I don't really have the credentials to say this, but I think Dickens needed a more stern editor. (laughs) Well, that's, I mean, when you get to those levels, I don't know what point in his career you wrote Bleak House, but... You know, you you really going to tell the guy who who wrote it? You know, a Christmas Carol. Eh, I'm not a fan of this one. You, at some point, you're going to trade on past successes. I think. I, I was just thinking a moment ago how 
I, was, was it The Wicker Man? I think there was a book I read years ago and I hated it. And the end of the book, I think it was The Wicker Man, the last like five pages, it's all revealed. The whole story comes together. Again, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was The Wicker Man. And I hated this book so much. And I got to that point, five pages left. Um, I closed it, I put it down and it was, I just, I didn't read it because it was the only way I felt like I could get revenge on the book. I don't care where this is going. Put it down, shut it, don't know how it ended. That, that's my revenge for making me read that horrible book. So, and, and I do have, a, that, that's a, an isolated incident, but I generally have a hundred page rule. If you can't get my attention in a hundred pages, I'm putting it down. I'm, I'm not gonna, there's too many books in the world. I'm not gonna persist. You go 100 pages, that's more than enough to, to draw me in. I think that's very wise. I do not judge people who don't finish books. There are lots of books where I do think I will get to that eventually. Mm. And if I just don't feel fully pulled in, and sometimes I think, well, maybe it's my mood, maybe it's the moment. There is a very famous American librarian, but the hard rule is, I think it's um, it's 100 pages minus your age. Oh, so if you're doing a full hundred pages, that is, um, that's above and beyond. I could technically, I could just get away with 54. Yes, I'm not sure of the maths, but I trust you absolutely. Nancy Pearl, I think that's her rule. I don't know. I, I'll, I will give anybody, if you've taken the time to sit down and write a book, you know, I know how tough it is. I'll give you a hundred pages of my time. Uh, I, I will give you 100 pages. If you can't do it in that time, we're, we're, we're done. It's over. I think that's very generous. And I think, yeah. <laughs> Same. So I, how old am I? I've just turned 38, which makes my number um, 62 pages. 62. I, I, do you know what? That's, that's a good innings. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd forgive you for that. I'd say, yeah, fair enough. But fair enough. I think we do probably, for empathy's sake, yeah. owe people 100 pages of that Exactly, time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, are there any books coming up that you're excited about reading? How do you decide what you're going to read next? I mean, it's a lot based on recommendations. My father's a prolific reader. He's uh, he's always got a good recommendation up his sleeve. Uh, yeah, just friends, and you know, and, and sometimes uh, you'll you'll see in a, in a paper or a magazine something that's blowing up, um, and I I think well, you know, I got to see what the fuss is about. I got to read this book. Um, I've got a couple locked and loaded at the moment, which um, my editor at um, Penguin sent me. Julian uh, McAllister's Wrong Place, Wrong Time. Oh, I've heard that's fantastic. I mean, the plaudits for this book are off the charts. So I'm very excited to read that. That's next after I've finished The Institute by Stephen King. And then a bit further down the line, I'm seeing uh, Norman Mailer, An American Dream. Oh, gosh, so that's a real, a real range. Norman Mailer is my bucking bronco and I keep getting on. And one day I will stay on. Have oh, you, really? You, yeah. It's, it's going to be a tough read, is it? Because I, I don't know much about it. Have you read any Norman Mailer before? No, no, I just saw it. You know, it's a modern classic, an American dream. I rang a bell, said, OK. And then I picked it up and I glanced in the in inside the book, the first page here. And there was one line I thought, OK, um, this is pretty damn good. Let's have a look if I can find it. Kelly's family was just Kelly, but he had made a million two hundred times. That for me was like, oh, I like that. He'd made a million 200 times. Thought, yeah, that's a good way of saying that. I mean, Norman, you got me. Brilliant. And sometimes it is just the poetry of one line that really, really pulls you in. I think I tried to read the execution song, which 
I think maybe I might have a go at um, an American dream, which sounds like it um, it might be a bit less less dark and relentless. Um, it's how I feel about the writer Catherine Heine. Um, I've just read her new short story collection, Games and Rituals, and I think that's coming out around May. And she's so funny, and I think a lot more kind of... She writes really about humans and relationships and experiences and lives we can really recognize but her kind of her economy and the way she can evoke so much with so little and she's so funny and so surprising but yes I think it's sort of picking up and seeing sort of certain sentences where do we um where do we land on short story collections you know a book of short stories is, is that something people I, I I enjoy short stories but sometimes I'm not sure the public does. Do they do well? I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure. No, and I'm, I was thinking about that. I'm sad that they don't because I think it's really great. If, you know, I don't know. Have you ever had a, a period where you've sort of not felt drawn to books or books haven't done it for you the way they used to? And sometimes when I've had that, I feel like it's a short story that brings me back to reading. Yeah, that's a really, really good idea, actually. Yeah, I, I, sometimes you go through a period of not finding good books and mm. you're a little bit dismayed by that, so you have a break. But yeah, actually, I've I read uh, Roald Dahl's Kiss Kiss recently, which is a collection of short stories, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, it's a really good idea, actually. If you are in a rut to, to indulge in a short story, you can fire up the, the love for it once once again. I ask because I, I've got uh, four short stories that I'd, I'd like to hopefully publish one day. And I, it does appeal to me, the idea of, of doing short stories. I just didn't re- didn't know if there was much of an appetite for it. Yeah, I mean, it's something I would love to see them come back into fashion because every reader I know, you know, loves them. Um and I think it's because we talk about, um, I love Kiss Kiss. Is that the one, this is a massive spoiler, and I might be confused with Tales of the Unexpected. Is that the, when she feeds the policeman the leg of lamb? Does that come up in that? That's book? Tales of the Unexpected. That, right, yes. Yeah, this is the one with the, the wife who becomes a brain in a jar. And the, the, yes. the young guy who is, uh, he's staying at a... Um, uh, like a bed set on the coast, and the uh, the the landlady's like a murderer. It's it's great. It's great. I mean, it's all pretty dark. I mean, because we know Roald Dahl is all steeped in darkness. Even the kids' stuff is, yeah. is quite quite sinister. But this is him just letting rip, and it's it's really really good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I just love his writing. He's phenomenal. I remember it being kind of even more surreal. Like, and I love you know his his kids' books, and there's lots of consistency in this universe and I feel like that really appeals to children where you know good and bad are very black and white and you know villains will always get punished eventually and then there's something more kind of you know a psychedelic I think about his adult fiction. He is so bloody good at writing you know fiction for children and that does appeal to me but I haven't got that in me in the sense I don't want to write anything for children like it's just no I'm not interested at all. I'm all about adults and adult humour and I like edge. Uh, I, I'm not in any way going to write a story for children. How do you feel about that? Is that a good or bad thing? I'm just, just not in me. I'm not that guy. Well, I, I think we all know ourselves, don't we? And I think that comes back to what you were saying at the beginning about the fun of it, that it's got to be something that you will enjoy. I think gifted children's authors love communicating in that way I think I'm with you I do sometimes think about I'd love to look at writing for kind of young adults or teenagers because I worked on a a teen magazine and I think it's such an interesting period Um, and there are 
I don't read as much YA as I should, but there are writers I love like Gina Dawson and Holly Bourne. I've read some of their young adult fiction and thought, oh, this is gripping and brilliant. Um, I think as well, when I worked at Bliss, lots of the YA, it was the time of twilight. Um, and so I had to take a big professional interest in vampires. And that put me off vampires for life. (laughs) (laughs) When you were younger, and there might not be an answer to this question, there might not be a book, but were there ever any books that you, like adult books you read when you were a kid? (laughs) Or books that felt quite grown up that, and you sort of read them and thought, oh, this is, so this is reading. There's one that comes to mind. And I was, yeah, I was pretty young reading this. And it just, it, it blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, because much like the title of the book, every page was utter filth. Irvin Welsh's filth. I mean, oh my God, that book blew my mind. I'd never read anything quite like it before. It was just so unforgivingly disgusting on every page. I loved, I, I absolutely loved it. I love him as a writer. I love his mind. I think he's brilliant. And I just love, you know, those subversive authors who don't seem to, to care. So I'm just going to write this, like it or lump it. This is, this is who I am. This is the way I think. And yeah, I, I find authors like Irvin Welsh, uh, John Niven to be quite um, in, inspirational. I just, I just love their I don't give a shit attitude. I love it. I remember having that with um, when I read American Psycho, which I was way too young for. And did, did it get on your nerves all the Genesis stuff though? Oh God, I just, I, I was like, what the hell? Why am I reading about Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel? This is so weird. I mean, it was, I was, I was very young reading it. Am I, am I missing something? Is that, does that add to the, the psychotic nature of Patrick Bateman? I didn't get it. I think it's interesting because when I read it, I was not confident in my opinions. I did read it at the same time. They're both on my parents' bookshelf and I don't know why. I love some of my favourite books ever are the Tales of the City books by Armistead Mopan and those they're set in the 1970s and they're about queer culture in San Francisco and it's a sort of amazing kind of multiverse and like Dickens they were originally written as a fictional column they were being serialized but I remember the chilliness of um, American Psycho and it felt so kind of dazzling and sophisticated in Manhattan and so sort of the misogyny of it and also kind of being of an age where you think, oh, this is, as a woman, perhaps this is who I'm supposed to be. Um, oh, God. A hooker who can get murdered. But then the warmth of the Tales of the City books and the love in those books, having that kind of made me think, yeah, maybe Brett Easton Ellis is a bit, a bit cruel and a bit mean and a bit loud. Do, do you feel there's less uh, of an appetite for that nowadays? The, the, the cruel, loud books where you know people are being like wantonly uh, gross for the one of a better term do you think people are a bit like ah enough of that now there's enough of that I, in the world anyway i think it it depends i think if something is written cynically people can tell but i think that there's perhaps less of an appetite for sort of the gratuitous let's see how far we can go when so much is so shocking and i think as you say it comes back to the true crime and you know we both we don't really fancy that as entertainment and that's it that as the world gets harder you know and what you've written about the sort of complicated nature of being a flawed human yeah and wanting to do right by other people but also that being really difficult sometimes and being very aware of what your own flaws are I think that's always much more interesting than a kind of shock for shock's sake yeah I 
Absolutely. I mean, I, to be completely honest, there are some relatively shocking moments in, in my novel Call Time. But at its core, yeah, it is about grief and loss and ultimately redemption, which are all things I think all of us can can um, can associate with. Um, but at the same time, I I didn't want to exclusively write about that. There's got to be plenty of shtummy in there. There's got to, got to be plenty <laughs> of laughs. And although, as I said, at its core, it's based around a tragedy and it's something that Bob, my protagonist, has experienced, something I've experienced, that's the only similarity in our lives. The rest of it, it's, it, it is a romp. And it's uh, mm. Bob trying to find his humanity uh, by uh, saving his brother. Um, but obviously, when you change the past, um, it never turns out exactly how you hope it would. So it, Bob does, he does become the person he wants to be, but not in the way he thought he would, essentially. But yeah, just to reiterate, there's no similarity between me and this, <laughs> and this <laughs> character. He is kind of awful initially. Uh, the only thing is similar those those childhood traumas that we both experienced. I'm sure, in the way that Bob is awful, I think we're all a little bit awful in our different <laughs> ways, and I think we'll um, we'll feel seen, and we'll all try to do a bit better. Talking about um, you know the laughs and how important that is. Do you have any favourite funny books? Mm, I mean, Filth is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> there's a lot of funny stuff in there. <laughs> Do you know what you were saying about gratuitous nastiness? That's what saves it, isn't it? That if it is just that kind of cold, relentless, yeah. hyperbolic awfulness, that's quite hard. But it is the moments of levity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think those are qualities that John Niven and, and Irvin Welsh do so well. There's a lot of those. Uh, so difficult for me to think of funny books that I've read recently because I haven't been on a funny book role. I've been on more of an espionage kind of uh, run with uh, I read Greg Hurwitz's most recent one, The Last Orphan. Oh, I don't know that at all. Tell me about that. Oh, Greg Hurwitz, he's done a whole bunch of these uh, novels. They're kind of Jason Bourne like, where he has a character called Evan uh, Smoke, who um, is a guy who's been trained by the government to uh, kill people essentially. And he revolts, he doesn't want to do it anymore, and the government are after him. And he becomes almost like an equaliser character where he's like a gun for hire and he helps people who are in need. And it's, it's a really clever, um, clever book. That's, it's, there's a lot of violence in there, but it's, it's very well done. Greg's a brilliant author. Um, there's, there's a ton of those novels out there, and they're all really good, rip roaring yarns, you know, much like uh, Lee Childs, you know, Jack Reacher, these, uh, Jack Ryan, these, these kind of vibes, which I really enjoy that. It's good to. And I switch the brain off sometimes and just let a bit of gratuitous violence take you elsewhere. But And when it really hooks you in and you know there's lots of it, you can settle in and enjoy it, holding it in your forearms, knowing there are many more books to come. I'll tell you one other book I read, which is phenomenal. It's not out just yet, uh, by Matthew Richardson. Are you familiar with Matthew? He's written a book called The Scarlet Papers. Oh, tell me about that. It's, it's, it's again, like espionage, counter-espionage. is about um, a lady who was a, um, a spy in the uh, First World War. And it's about her blowing the lid off uh, this these secrets that the British government uh, are holding and uh, she's going to blow the top off it before she dies because she's in her late 90s she's almost 100 years old so she decides to bear her soul to an historian and uh, he is chased by these shadowy government figures uh, basically all over Europe they're trying to stop him from uh, um, putting publishing his book and saying about these these secrets that will damage the British government it's, it takes place over like a hundred years, this story. There's a lot going on. It's super 
complex, but it's told in a very like clear way. You know, it's 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 brilliantly written, and I think it's going to be a huge novel. Very very good. <gasps> That's got me hooked. That idea that she's got nothing to lose. Nothing to lose at all. Nothing to lose. So she that wants to sounds... blow the top off in this this whole thing before she goes. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Steve, thank you so much. I love ending with a recommendation. It has been such a joy to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Pleasure's been mine. Thank you, Daisy. Huge thanks to Steve. Court Time is published by Michael Joseph and out now. Your book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. You can find all the books that Steve mentioned at acast.com slash booked and you can see a selection at bookshop.org. You can find us and follow us on social media at whybooked. Huge thanks to everyone who has given us a five-star review. We really, really do appreciate it. And if you haven't done it yet, especially if you've been listening for a little while, it is the best way to help people to find the podcast and their new favourite book. Finally, I leave you with this from Sue Townsend. Mrs Ball has got a daughter who is a writer. I asked her how her daughter qualified to be one. Mrs Ball said that her daughter was dropped on her head as a child and it's been a bit queer ever since. See you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.